0: All right, I see some kids headed out, five and under, I think, is what the cutoff is. I thought about keeping all the little ones in here today because of our topic. Um, we can talk about kids. Uh, <clears throat> so while they're, while they're filtering out, I'll tell you a couple things. One, I was going to uh, spend a significant amount of time today talking about children. Okay, so tell them all, turn around and say goodbye to them all. See you guys later. Bye. Um, actually, you know what? Let's pray. Let's pray right now before we start Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word I would just ask now that you would bless this time that we have together Lord, bless uh, this um, Lord, this, this truth that we're going to be reading today God, I ask your blessing on it in my own words as I speak I ask that it would not be me I pray that it would be truly from you I ask for your spirit to fill me Lord, I pray for your presence in this room, that you would speak to us today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so, a couple things. Actually, could you hit the lights too? Um, oh, I hear music. Oh, that's okay. Um, I just thought I was going crazy for a second. Am I the only one hearing that? Um, okay, yeah, let me just throw a couple things out there. Okay, first off, uh, I have found that I, I don't consider myself the kind of guy that gets stressed out about things. I'm, I'm pretty laid back, but I realized this weekend, I, I get, I, I've been getting stressed out about this. Um, it's weird. I feel like every single Sunday, and I actually think I've probably been doing this for a long time, uh, but I feel like every single Sunday as I'm preparing, I always feel like this is the most important sermon I've ever preached. Now, I don't think that's necessarily bad to approach it that way. In some ways, it's the most important sermon I'm preaching today. And it's the most important sermon for you this week. So I think there's some truth in that. But uh, it's it's a relief as we think about the things even from this morning in Sunday school that the sufficiency of Christ that I could get up here and just blow it. You know? I'm not planning on that, by the way, but there's a a certain relief in the reality that what we're doing here today, we're depending on something supernatural, right? That it doesn't, in the end, depend on what I'm bringing to the table. It depends on the Spirit of God. This is His church, right? And and so I just wanted to say that before we got started, there's an aspect of that, that I was working through in my head, and I just felt like sharing that with you. I just working through like, oh, but there's there's a reality that we can sit back and go, okay, God, this is this is this is ultimately not about me or about you, and there is an aspect of that that's going to tie into what we're talking about today. Two other things I need to share. Um, the the next one is um, I told you I was going to talk a little bit about children because of the topic of today, and. Um, there's a certain view. This is. I want to consider this next thing an obstacle. Okay. There's an obstacle in understanding the text today because of how we view children. Okay. I mean, we could break into some. Uh, is it Whitney Houston? Children are our future or whatever. What's that? You know. I mean, we could. I mean, we we love kids. I think everybody in this room does. I'm looking around. Some of you may not. Shame on you. <laughs> we love kids, right? Kids are and they're what a what a blessing. And for those that have been here years gone by where we didn't have any little ones, what a blessing it is to have the, the little, the noises and the little sounds and the little fussings and all those little things. Those, I, I'm sorry if you go, I don't like that. You, you're, there's something wrong with you. Those are wonderful things, Right? But it wasn't always like that in the world. In fact, in Jesus' day, in the Roman Empire, there was a tendency to look at children as non-human. Now, I know that I could elaborate on some political thoughts right now, how much we still do that to degrees today to unborn children. I could get into that avenue, but that's not what my text is about. But they would go to the extreme, and this is going to sound way too familiar, I'm going to be honest with you. They would go to the extreme of children that were born unwanted, they would many times there was a discarding of them. They just take them outside the city. And you know, I don't need this one. There was a tendency to do that more with girls than with boys, which led to in those days an overpopulation of men compared to women. Interesting things you could discover from this, but but we, we, we go, that's horrendous. Like, do you get a strong distaste in your mind? Just just the thought that people could discard a baby is unthinkable. That's how it was. But I want to tell you, this this is the challenge in understanding what we're getting ready to read because I'm telling you right now, that was not always the view. And here's the thing. The reason why you guys look at children the way you do is not because you're just so, you're much more enlightened. It's because... Of texts like I'm getting ready to read. This text has so influenced our culture that it has infiltrated just how we view children. There's an amazing book, I haven't read the whole thing, I've read different parts of it for different times, but there's an amazing book called When Children Became People. And it's a history of how Christianity influenced the personhood, the peoplehood of children. They weren't always considered that. They're discarded. They're not important. In fact, they, they were in society the lowest members of society. Sorry, guys. If we don't think of you that way now. It's okay. We love you. We love you. You're not discarded. We're not going to discard you. No. I'm not going to smack you. I'm not going to discard you. Okay. So, If you want to know about the smacking, that's a whole other backstory, right? Um, ask Avis. She'll tell you all about it. But we have this influence of this text. So it's going to be tough for us to get past that because we see children a certain way as valuable already. We see them as valuable treasures. you know. And some of you, even more so than others, some of, especially the, the grandmotherly ones in the room, are like, oh, such a little treasure. Some of you have forgotten how much of a non-treasure they were at different times. But you, you see what I'm saying? We have this influence. So that's my second thing. The third thing, third little challenge, or the second obstacle, third thing I wanted to mention, there is a tendency and a difficulty that we have when we read texts of scriptures to read into it what is our current situation. So I, even myself, at the beginning of the week, was looking at this next text thinking, what an awesome opportunity to talk about children's ministry. I was even, just a few nights ago, talking about it again. It's a great opportunity to jump into, but that's not what the text is about. And so I have to go, okay, Lord, what, what is it that you're saying? I don't want to read into it what I think. And so there's some obstacles in getting into this. So the one thing that you're going to need to do is you're going to lay, lay aside, I want you to try to enter into the world that they were in, how they viewed children as not something that was a valuable thing, but as the lowest members of society. Non-important. I'll share some other facts about that with you in just a few minutes. Luke chapter 9, we're going to go to verse 46. One more thought before we jump into it. Let's rem- I want to remind you of something. This is so helpful for us, okay? Um, I cannot pretend like what's happening at Edgewood isn't happening. This is full, okay? Uh, we brought in more seats. That's pretty cool, right? That was kind of cool, wasn't it? We had to bring in more seats. That's kind of a fun thing to do. Is something, you know? I don't want to ignore that. I love what we're doing right now. God has amazing timing because Jesus, as He takes His disciples, and He's been doing all these this ministry, and when He finally they're finally getting who He is, and He says, "Okay, now I'm going to take you a step deeper into understanding what this is all about." The rest of Chapter Nine is all about the disciples blowing it. Okay. I tell that to you to tell you this right now. We are gonna blow it, okay? We're gonna blow it. And I love that Jesus keeps at it with these disciples, okay? We're gonna blow it. I'm just giving you a heads up, okay? You might be sitting here going, we're not gonna blow it, we've got something good going. No, we're gonna blow it. I promise you, we're gonna blow it. I'm sorry, Paul, we're gonna blow it. Just get ready. It's gonna happen. It's... I probably are blown it, and I don't even realize it yet. That's how I am. Luke chapter 9. Ready to dig in now? You ready? You ready? All right, let's jump in. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. An argument arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. Now, there's a certain irony here, is there not? What just happened last week what anybody here last week say i remember what what happened last week when we're studying what just happened with these disciples come on somebody's got to remember please tell me remember come on don't be shy well the transfiguration but right after that they came down and there was a boy that was demon possessed and and what what there was a little comment about the disciples anybody remember they couldn't do it they blew it and they, they bring it up, hey this time. So these same guys that were just like in front of the crowd, like, we asked the disciples, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus is like, "Oh, how long am I going to deal with this crooked, twisted, perverse generation?" You know? I mean, He's saying these kinds of things, and then right after that, they're very next and we're going to find out they, they, they've left that and they're kind of on their way to the next place. While they're walking, these guys are going, "Who's the greatest?" Is that not a little ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty arrogant, right? There's some arrogance in there. There's some now. This word "greatest." The, the, the root of this word in the Greek is "mega." Okay, so keep that in mind as well. Like gr- great. What does it mean to be great? I think there's, there's a whole lot of different ideas. Just even in our English word "great," you can talk about great something great in size. Right? That's a great big ball, or, you know, that's a great big building. But you can talk about great, and I mean, who who was the greatest boxer? Muhammad Ali, at least he thought he was, right? You know, he's the greatest. There's great in a lot of different terms, and I think that all these are kind of packaged up in here. They're talking about who's got the most prominence, the, 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 the highest level of standing in this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing who is going to be at the top. And I don't think that it was all just, no, I think I am, or I think I am. I think there was probably a little bit of, we are, <laughs> right? Well, I, I bet Peter, he's probably going to be at the top, like, no problem with that. Matthew may have been like, no problem, I'm not, I got no problem with that. Matthew, uh, Peter, you're like, you're probably going to be like top dog, but like, I bet I'll get like this whole section, I'll get to rule this part, You know, but you'll be like, oh, man, and we could, you know, just think of all the things we could do. And they're probably talking about all the things that they could work out in the nation of Israel and just accomplish and get done. And and they're probably just, uh, but it became an argument. There's some level of disagreement where they didn't agree on who was the greatest. Mark's gospel includes a little bit more detail. Look at Mark chapter 9. It says, uh, they came to Capernaum, uh, and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? So they must have been headed along the way. So I picture this playing out this way. On the way, they're probably talking. Jesus isn't with them while they're discussing this, but as they're heading, in, but they get to the destination, and it, uh, Jesus says, What were you talking about? What were you guys discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so they're kind of embarrassed about this. In Matthew's account, they actually ask him at one point, Jesus, who is the greatest? And I think that it's this point that Jesus turns it back around on them and says, What we were talking about. If we go back to Luke chapter nine, Jesus knows. He knows. He knows. I love there's several times throughout the gospel accounts where Jesus just knows. I I think that sometimes God is or Christ is exercising some divine ability to know what's in their hearts. There's times of that. I think sometimes, and this one could be one of those where it's just intuition, wisdom. He knows these guys. I think he very much could have known what was going on in their hearts because he know, he's met them. He's familiar with their work, okay? And so he does this. He knows the reasoning of their hearts, the argument that they had. And this is what he does. Now, I'm sitting here going, what, what's happening here? Now, this is where it's important to understand our view. Now, we read this, and it took a child, just to illustrate, but you have to understand, children in their society were the lowest. In Judaism, not just out in the Roman world, but in in Israel, um, children under 12 could not be taught the Torah, and so to spend time with them was considered a waste of time. Sorry, guys. Who's under 12 in here? Anybody under 12? Oh, we got a little baby hand. <laughs> we sent them all out. Did we send them? <laughs> we got rid of them all. Listen to this. One, one uh, uh, rabbinical teacher wrote this. He said, morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children, and tarrying in places where men of the common people assemble destroy a man. So chattering with children, they saw as a waste of time. That would be the ruin of you. Why waste your time doing that now we see we don't see it that way do we we see those moments as valuable moments they did not so this this is what ha- okay so Jesus says he, they're, they're arguing about who's the greatest and this is his response okay There's, must have been a child near he brings, the child, he brings him into the midst of the group not a word yet I don't think This child is, uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says that he called him over. So we know he's old enough to understand. So I'm picturing, I I wish, I was hoping Darius would be here. I'm picturing at least Darius' size because I think Darius, you could say, hey, Darius, come here, and he would come, right? So at least old enough to understand that. But in Mark's gospel, he he says he takes him up in his arms. So at least young enough that he could still pick him up potentially. Okay, so we're we're getting a, a small child. Jesus says, come here. And right in the midst of the disciples, they're having their big important meeting, right? Council meeting, we're the 12, and Jesus brings a kid in there. Come here, brings him in, sits him down. And he says this, whoever receives this child in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Mark's gospel has Jesus setting it up a little bit first. He has it in a different order. He sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. If you receive this child, take them in, in my name, that's like receiving me. And if you're receiving me, you're receiving the Father. Now, we go back to Luke's account. There's a lot of things going on in this verse that I had to wrestle through, and I'm gonna tell you right now, my least favorite part about this, and this added to my stress this week, is I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that I 92.3% understand this text. Okay? I'm, and I hate I hate that. I hate getting up here going, I'm, there's, there's aspects of this I don't quite grasp. Is that, are you guys okay with that? Some of you are like, no, 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 pastor, you need to know this stuff. If you don't, we've got to find somebody that knows this stuff. Okay, I'm just telling you. it's not quite what I expected when I first looked at it. He's not at all in this telling them now, you have the wrong way of achieving greatness. Let me tell you the right way of achieving greatness. That's not what he says. He says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least... Among you, for example, child is the one who is great. A couple of quotes that helped me out. Uh, let me share the first one with you. By the way, I've been promising you guys. I started preaching through Luke in um, November of 2020. <laughs> Do that feels like that. Um, this, I, I've been referencing Daryl Bach. Okay, this is, this is volume one. This is Luke 1.1 1, 1 to chapter nine, verse 50, where we're, we're getting today. Um, I'd like to show you this, just so you guys know what you have in store. This is volume two. Notice which one's thicker. This ought to take us to 2025, huh? Daryl Bach, though, he had a, a statement in there that I, I found very helpful. He said this. He says, Jesus notes the greatness is not inherent in a, per, in a person. Jesus notes that greatness is not inherent in a person. So what he's, he's not saying that children are great. It's not necessarily what he's saying. They, if you go down that route, you're, you're missing something, although that's a great application to it. Children are great. Jesus knows that greatness is not inherent in a person, but is established by one's relationship to Jesus. The child does not have greatness, but receiving it in the name of Jesus is the same as receiving Jesus. To receive Jesus is to receive the God who sent him. A disciple's, and this sentence right here is what helped me, a disciple's relationship with God enhances the value of other persons. That's when I had the light bulb go on. If you read this text and you go, I've been trying the wrong way to be great. If I want to be great, I got to start loving kids. That is great, by the way. (laughs) I hope you love kids. We ought to be great stewards of our kids that are here. Absolutely, 100%. That is an important, important thing. But that's not what this text is talking about. Your relationship with God enhances the value of other persons because the children represent the least. I think that what you need to ask right now is who do you see as the least? See, because if we stick with the example Christ gave, it's not gonna be easy because we're all like, I love kids. Of course I'm willing to. But who do you see as the least in our society, in our culture? I'll give you some hints. I'll help you out. Do you ever have anybody that you, uh, a certain sector of humanity that you find yourself doing this to? What's that called? Turning the nose up at? Do you? That's the least. Right? Right? There's a whole different. Everybody in this room. Some of you have multiple sectors of humanity that you have that you view that way. How do you view people? Now, as I'm as I'm working through that thought, as you're working through that thought, I thought about just taking some time and saying, just let's just dwell on that thought for a minute. Start thinking through, and maybe through this week, you'll have to realize and recognize the times that maybe you're driving through Danville, and maybe some of you—if I'm to be honest—some of you, it's it, it, the sector of society that you look down on and you look at it as the, the least valuable to humanity in general. Is—is is, do they live in Danville? <laughs> right? You ever drive around this town? And look at people in this town, and go, oh. hmm. I don't think Jesus, if he was here today, he would have grabbed a chalk. Cause we're all we're all on board with that. Who would he have brought and stood? If you were debating greatness, who would he have brought up here for you? That's the question you have to ask. That's the point that Jesus is making with the disciples. For them, children were the least important in society. Had the least value to to what was going on in society. And so Jesus brings up an example of the least. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you a question now, and you might be going, I thought we were already there. I'm going to say, do you you mind if I get real for a minute? And you might be thinking, I think you were already getting real, Matt. Um, Let's get even more real Okay, two, two applications before we finish through this text, two little thoughts that have entered my mind as we worked through this. One was, I was thinking about myself as a pastor, how I might, this might affect me, okay? And let's think, because the disciples were thinking amongst themselves, who's the greatest? Let's just think, let's just think right within these four walls, okay? Let's just think right here for just a minute, Okay? That greatest argument is an interesting one to think through because I usually don't think of it in those terms. But I will say that there are sometimes there are people that show up, and I start to think now we can be great. Would you like some examples? I told you I was going to get real. Do you ready for? It? Are you ready for it? You ready for some awkwardness? All right. I'll will tell you I'll tell you some right now. This is going to get real. But my father in law, my father in law came. He, he, I, I want you to. know, I'm not just saying this. This is not a joke. I know you probably think I'm setting you up for something. I'm not. Uh, I look at my father in law as a person, as a man of God. And his presence, his coming to this church, to me was a boost. Okay. Paul came. He hates that I'm pointing at him right now. I don't know if you guys know this. He's super smart. (laughs) Everybody else is like, wait a minute. Audrey was like, laughed. And Wesley said, Wesley said, yes, he is. That was good. He's What do you want to, he got some video games you want to play this afternoon. (laughs) He's the brightest. (laughs) Right? Okay, who else can I make feel awkward? Uh, how about Mr. Jeff right here? talented musician, his brother Todd? he understand whatever's going on back in that booth I haven't got a clue there's so many wires back there now here's the thing i'm going to stop I'm going to stop right there now I want you to feel something okay so I'm going to stop right there I could go to I'd go, oh now that Jeff's here, right or now that or now that I could start going around in the room, and here's the thing, though. But if I stop right now, you know what you're gonna. You know what you know what you're gonna have in your heart. Why didn't he say me? Do you feel it? Why didn't. He, what about me? I mean, he only picked three examples. Why did he pick those three examples? Let me share this with you. Daryl Bach continued on, he said this, he said, if greatness is found in the least, and I think this captures the heart of what Jesus is saying, if greatness is found in the least, greatness is found in all. All relative scales are removed. Love is to be extended to all for even the least are great. I love that the word that's translated least, the root of it is the word micro, and the word that's translated great is related to the word Mega. If even the micro are mega, there's greatness. I mean, here's the thing. I love what Jesus has done in this text. He completely destroyed their arguments of greatness. It's not even about, it's like, guys, it's not about that. You're missing it. Now, now, Jesus is taking them from where they were to where he's going, which is where. Where is Jesus going in his ministry? What place? What do we say? It's, I'll give you a hint. There's a big symbol of it right behind me. The cross, right? That's where he's going. His ministry was not about his greatness, though that's in there. His ministry was about becoming one of us and going to the cross. For us, that's the whole point of where he's going. It wasn't so that he would gather a huge following. He was coming for a purpose to die. In fact, as he got to the end, he lost them. They all rejected him. They all walked away from him. But his mind was not on what am I gonna get? It's about what, see see the difference? So what Jesus does in this, this is not about, see, this is the thing. I've, I've looked at this text slightly askew because I've always looked at it and said, okay, the way to achieve greatness then is not about doing it this way. It's about doing it this way. But do you see what I'm doing then? I'm still trying to be great. And what Jesus did in this moment, he goes, you guys are arguing about this. This kid is great. There's value right here. Not because of what you bring to the table, not because of your gifts and your talents and all these other things. I mean, there's a whole avenue of thought that opens up when you start thinking this way. In God's kingdom, even the least are great. And if the least are great, I'm a complete idiot but my future is incredibly bright. And anybody, see, there's the gospel. Anybody can get in on this. And one of the problems is we don't really, I will confess to you, this is not in my notes. I will confess to you right now. I have a hard time sometimes. I was talking to, with Andrew about this on Wednesday night. Sometimes I, I look around at the, the situation of our world and, and I, it feels so Hopeless. I mean, there are people who, the, 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 there's no comprehension of the basics of just being a productive human being, let alone getting them to, to like, I, I want them to understand Christianity and what it's all about and the gospel message. I want them to be saved, but I'm sitting here sometimes and it feels so hopeless because they're so far off from anything remotely like that. But it's not hopeless. The, in fact, the gospel is geared towards the least in our society. Here's the thing: it, it's it's not. I want to say meant. That's probably not the right word. It's not geared towards the one that has pretty much everything in their life is pretty. They got a job. They, you know, they're they're functioning really well. Family situation isn't too terrible. They just missing this one little piece, Jesus. No, the gospel is geared to the ones that just they've got nothing, nothing. And part of inviting them in is not this is so important. Inviting someone into this church is it can't it can't be about what they bring here so that we can have a great church. Right? Let's pray that God invites those that have no clue what family is about and what life is about. They are completely. They're a total disaster. And, and let's not get confused that what we're aiming for is not so that they can get their life together. You know, that's how we get that backwards sometimes, don't we? We try to get their life together I'm telling you, there's, there's gonna be some people that are staying in heaven and go, I never got it together, but Jesus was my only hope. Right? God's kingdom is full of a bunch of misfits. A bunch of knuckleheads. A bunch of idiots. A bunch of beggars. It's all their hope. christ as they're all i think that we're going to see as we continue on through luke's gospel that you're going to see some other ideas at play here jesus will see people at different times that have it all together and he will describe them as very far from the kingdom and he'll see somebody that's a total disaster and he'll say they're so close to If greatness is found in the least, greatness is found at all. This this has got to affect how you view every human being in this world. As someone who has hope in Christ, if they would but turn to Him, and that's it. Not get a job, not straighten out their relationships. Uh, those things are results, right, of faith in Christ. And we need to, as a church and as a people in the culture that we live in, we need to give some space for that to happen. Everybody that comes to Christ is not going to get their whole life put on track in two weeks, Some, if we're honest, all, it'll take a lifetime and we still won't be there. And this is the goodness, the goodness of the gospel. Save us from ever thinking we're a great church because of what we've brought to the table. Let us, have all of our greatness wrapped up in who Christ is. Every ounce of it. Every little tidbit of greatness just wrapped up in who he is. Now, there's two more verses here I have to cover. And they might feel disjointed, but I think they tie directly in with this illustration that just happened. because it's not just as they come in here. I don't know if you know this, but I I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's other churches in Danville. (laughs) Did you guys know that? There's some other ones. There's a whole lot of other ones. John, one of the disciples, came to Jesus, and I think right on the tail end of all this other that was going on, and he says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. (laughs) Again, the irony. (laughs) Wait a minute. They just failed doing that exact thing, and here they are going, we saw this guy doing it. He's not one of us, so we tried to stop him. Ridiculous because he does not follow with us. He's not, he's not, he's not. Now, now here's the thing. Had the, these disciples been specifically commissioned by God to do these things? Yes, we just saw that at the beginning of chapter 9. Has this guy been very specifically commissioned by Christ to do this? No, to our knowledge, no. This guy, they, he wasn't one of them. But here they see this guy in the name of Jesus casting out demons, and they say, Well, he wasn't commissioned like we were commissioned, and so there's a part of them. It's still that greatness concept is going on. We were commissioned. He wasn't commissioned. Stop it. I just see this guy, whoever this guy is. I can't wait to meet this guy. We don't know his name. Don't know who he is. He is in all senses to us a nobody. In some ways, getting it better than they were just saying, this Jesus is amazing, and he's ministering in the name of Jesus. Don't even know who he is. But one of the 12 says, stop it. We were the commissioned ones. And Jesus says to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Now, there's a very simple application here. We're not in a competition, right? Right? Now, I must throw in some clarification, okay? Because this, that little thought could go too far. Let me give you some passages of scripture. I don't have these up here for you to read, um, but I'll give you the text. First one is in uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 18. In Philippians 1, Paul the apostle is in prison. And he makes this comment, And I'm going to tell you, it might rock your view and understanding of some things. But listen to what he says. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. So, some off with their motivations. Okay, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ. Out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, what do you think Paul's going to say? Here's some people, they're preaching Christ, but it's for selfish ambition. What do you think he's going to say? Do you think he's going to say, that I wish they'd stop? Because their motives are all wrong. He doesn't. He says this. What then? Only in that, only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. The message was still going; they were still rejoicing that the message was sent out. Every once in a while, okay, I'm gonna get real again. I am a human being just like you, so let's not pretend that we haven't done this from time to time. We may have seen another church at time times and, and questioned their motives. But if Christ is proclaimed in that, let's rejoice. Okay? But now, not to mean that as long as they're throwing Jesus in there that we're, we're all good with everything. In 2 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle, speaking about false teachers, not, here's the difference. They're, he's not talking about their their goals or their, their motives, but he talks about the, the message itself is off. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, dis- disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. It's Christ, right? And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So in this case, when the message is off, even if it's under the banner of Christ, He doesn't say, "I rejoice." He says, "Their end is going to correspond with their deeds." Well, that's a little harsh, Paul. Peter taught, says something very similar in Second Peter chapter two, verse seventeen. He describes some false teachers. He says, "They are these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved." or my favorite, Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is opposing some people who were preaching Christ, but saying, if you want to be right with God, you still have to do the law to be right with God. And he goes on to say, because one of the aspects of the law was circumcision. For the youth in here that don't know what that is, ask your parents later. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, in response to these people that are preaching a gospel where they've added something extra in there, it's not just Christ, it's Christ and what you do to be right with God. If you want to be right with God, yes, it's Jesus, but you also have to do some stuff. He actually says in Galatians 5, 12, he said, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, not to be too crass, but if you want to cut something, cut it all off. Paul, that's not Sunday morning talk. <laughs> so there's something in here of thinking about for, against. The for is in the name of Christ, in the truth. Jesus will later, just in a few, uh, few chapters from now, he's going to say uh, basically the opposite. If you're not for, you are against. And he kind of divides it up. There's going to be this, you're, you're either for or against. But like I said, Jesus said to him, "Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you." I think that what is going on with this again, the disciples have dropped it again. This is all about them hearing what it's about and missing it. Now, oh, notice, I don't have any more slides. <clears throat> I don't have a closer. Don't you love when the pastor has like this awesome closer at the end? Like this amazing, great quote. Ooh, that was good. I don't have any of that. I walked away from this today just recognizing there, there's a reality that we have, that we're facing right now. It'd be easy. I, I can tell you right now, you're, before all you people were here, I'll be honest. We were doing okay with not thinking we're too great. I, that's not meant to be prideful. I'm just telling you right now. We were like, we would usually show up on Sunday morning going, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> do you know what we're I don't know what we're doing. Let's just do it. Let's, okay. Right, Ashley? Admit it a little bit. Okay, you might have known what you were doing. Okay, she knew what she was doing. The rest of us were winging it. But we were clinging to this gospel concept, right? That what would go on in here, the presence of God could be real, not because the music was perfect and not because the prayers were eloquent and not because of any of those other things. See, it's easy for us as We have more bodies in the room to start thinking to ourselves, Oh, now God's doing something. I'm gonna tell you, he was he's been doing something for forever. I also want you to know that Edgewood this isn't gonna last forever. No matter how much we put in place to try to structure God's kind of church, it's it's peopled with sinners and we're it's it's not meant to last forever. God's church lasts forever. Edgewood might not. So our goal is to enjoy right now every single human being that walks in these doors. This is our community that we have right now. And you, it's wonderful to have you, not because of what you bring to the table. And I wanna make sure that we never operate that way, right? You're, you you We're so glad you're here, not because of what talents and what abilities you have. That is not it. We're so glad you're here simply for the fact that God is great and Christ came. And for you to, to look at me and go, Matt, I love you. Or for you me to look at you and go, I love you, glad you're here. All of that, you know what that is? Receiving you in Jesus' name is the same as receiving Christ, which is what, is receiving the Father. That's what Jesus teaches. So everybody that comes in here, we ought to have that mentality. So glad you're here. I'm not just saying it. You are an answered prayer. Whatever is going on in your life that brought you into this building, whatever's happening in your life, you, there is no expectation that you're gonna get your act together, Okay? We know you don't have your act together. We don't have our acts together. We're just beggars showing other beggars where there's bread. That's all it is. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And my prayer today is going to be that he will protect us as long as possible from thinking we're great. Does that make sense? Heavenly Father, we are no better than those disciples. We have many times over argued about our own greatness with each other. I ask now that you would help us at this church at this time as long as your grace would allow. God, free us from The pride of thinking we're great. But allow us to instead recognize that the least among all of us is just as great as the greatest of all of us. Lord, I know that as we study Luke, this all will, all the pieces of this idea and this concept are going to come together at the cross. Because there's parts of this idea and this concept of loving each other and caring for each other and building a community based on these principles that just are difficult and challenging to, to live out. But Lord, I know that as we read and we study Luke, it's all going to fit together when you are discarded by all humanity and sent to the cross for our sin. And then those pieces will come together for us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on that since we know where the story goes. Allow us to remember those things and allow us to live as you told your disciples to live, to take up your cross daily, come follow you. Lord, I ask for in this room that you'd be with those of us who battle with that pride. Lord, I ask that you would do what it takes to free us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those in this room today that recognize that they are the least. Lord, I pray that they would simply turn their eyes and their hearts to you as well. We both need the same thing a Savior who is fully God, fully man came to this earth for us. Help us through this week. Keep us safe. Bring us together again. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.